Boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Luxury Tax. Logan, how we doing? Um, you know, you know, take a few prescription drugs because it's been an absolute hoop this last forty-eight hours. Oh my god! I feel like we're developing an early trend, reducing your condition with what prescription drugs and/or substances you're taking is that going to be a reoccurring trend yeah you know just on a some a timer of upper uppers and downers to match the free agency news that's coming out of here hey i mean <clears throat> however bombastic and tumultuous your drug schedule is right now i, I gotta believe that Woj is freebasing pcp out of a light bulb at this point <laughs> <laughs> like this, this dude's got to have carpal tunnels running like a subway through his fingers. <laughs> oh, oh dear man. God. Oh my God. I, I, I couldn't keep up, honestly. Like I, it's like, it's like Shams is sitting there snorting lines off his iPad mini. And then Woj is in an absolute frenzy trying to beat him down the line. I mean, this has become the the Twitter of this has become an event in itself. And then you and you have these um supposed self-reported insiders like this Arya Abraham dude who just every hour is coming out with a new Lakers report. Oh, 75% chance Kawhi sounds the Lakers. Clippers are out, Clippers are in. Doc Rivers meeting with the Clippers with Kawhi. And so oh, yeah. I don't I don't know who to believe, but I've put all my faith in Woj and Champs. And if it's not coming from them or like Mark Stein, I just take it like a grain of salt. Yeah, I mean, and there's always there's always these like new emergent voices. Like Kendrick Perkins has kind of stepped up and and tried to you know wage his destiny on the on the field. Uh-huh. You know, I feel I feel like it's a it, it's a crowded sort of it's a crowded saturated business right now, but it's exploding um god so where to start is the true question oh and if i'm sorry if you're if you're viewing this through our our audio podcast instead of our our braille episode then i do want to alert you this is the and the first edition of the summer nba free agency podcast series that we're doing here at luxury tax um first of many because we have no idea what is in <laughs> in the course for this summer. Like we're sitting we're sitting here at recording this on July first at about eight fifty two, eight fifty PM and we're patiently awaiting a Kawhi decision that I'm told is coming down to the Clippers and the Lakers. Is that consistent with your findings? Yes, I've been informed that there will be a messenger pigeon that is delivering the news on a handwritten scroll, scroll by the board man himself that is going to be read aloud to the masses by David Stern. A handwritten scroll that he has to unfurl, you say? Exactly. Wow. I would expect nothing less from the board man. He's always getting paid. That's correct. Well, and we'll see what, what type of number he's getting paid if uh... – if the, if the Lakers want to add any real perimeter defense or shooting to their lineup. But Why would they want to do that? That's <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, so I do want to start off with one big question, which is what moves did you like in general? Like what moves really stuck out to you as, wow, that was savvy. That was shrewd. Like that guy is light years ahead of the rest. That guy – is at least smarter than James Dolan. Okay, I think we're all smarter than James Dolan. So that's a benchmark. Oh, I think I think the passenger, I think the passenger pigeon that's able to carry Kawhi's decision is smarter than James Dolan. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna start with the Bulls because they had two moves in particular that really jumped out to me. The first being signing Thomas Adoransky on a three-year, thirty million dollar deal. Now, if you remember yeah. two years ago when John Wall was hurt, well, I mean, that, that specific time period when John Wall was hurt because he's been hurt the last, like, seven years of his career. But anyway, he essentially <laughs> carried the Wizards on his back with Bradley Beal to a playoff berth. 
with a 50-44-83 shooting split over the course of the last two seasons. Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, he's got nice size at 6'7". He's got a lot of experience. He has some playoff experience. And I think he's going to pair nicely with that young core just to deliver some veteran presence. Oh, okay. Okay. When you use a buzzword like young core, I'm okay with it when we're referring to like, you know, maybe the Celtics still or the Suns or, you, you know, a team like even the Magic. But like Thomas Bryant is not a young core. Like who who, who is the young core of the Wizards? No, no, no I'm talking about the Bulls here. <clears throat> oh, you're t- oh my, you're, you're, you're so damn right. I'm sorry. I forgot. No, yeah, the Bulls, without a doubt, do have a young core. I'll give you that. Yes. The Bulls have a young core. And so the second signing they made that just absolutely jumps off the page to me is Thad Young on a three-year $41 million deal. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. So I like that one. I've talked about this before, that I I want there to be a third-team all-defensive team in the NBA. There's three all-NBA teams, but there's not three all-defensive teams. And I think that if there was a third-team all-defense, Thad Young would be a staple on that. I Watching Thad Young this year, and, and honestly in years past, I think the reason he doesn't get voted is because the stuff he does doesn't jump out. He doesn't have these glassing blocks. He doesn't, like, get a ton of, like, you know, jump in a passing lane at the top of the key steals. But his hand placement is so good. Oh, he, I, he mirrors the ball so well. He cuts off passing lanes with his hands and his wingspan. I'm absolutely. I'm totally with you. He's he's honestly like the best cop I can make is Marcus Smart in like the body of a power forward. Oh hell yeah! I mean he's yeah, no, one and, big dude. He's dependable. He's versatile. He moves really well laterally despite being like on the wrong side of thirty. Right. And another thing, probably the most underappreciated part of his game is how consistent he is in the last seven straight seasons he's played north of 73 games in every single season and it gets so overlooked I feel like Thad Young is just a player where it's like even when Oladipo went down it was like oh yeah they're fucked they're completely fucked but no one thought oh yeah like they still got Thad Young Sabonis is yeah I Thad Young's a nice signing for the Bulls he, now, what I want to ask, what I want to ask though, is does it go along with their "quote unquote" timeline? This timeline word that I keep hearing floated around. Here? No, if we're talking about a timeline in terms of when they're going to be a legit playoff contender, it that that's a ways away. But in terms of, like I said, developing this young core of. Laurie Markin of Wendell Carter Jr., of Kobe White now, of Otto Porter. You need to surround these guys with real NBA players with tangible skill sets that are going to complement the, these young pieces in order to truly develop their games. I mean, if you look at what happened with the Suns the last couple of years, when you have Devin Booker playing alongside Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson, those are not valuable reps. But all of a sudden, when you're talking Thad Young, a proven, like, just superior defender, Thomas Sadoransky, proven bench point guard that can give you a lot of starting minutes. You're talking about guys that are actual NBA players. They've played for winning teams. And so when you can have that to complement your young pieces and get meaningful reps, I think that's really important in developing, like, your rookies and your sophomores. So. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at, like, <clears throat> this front court right now of you got Markinen, you got Wendell, and then you're bringing in Thad Young, like, each one of those players brings something unique and effective to the to the table, and you can mix and match them really well because Thaddeus Young is such a good passer. So I, I like the versatility there. I wonder – one thing I wonder with this, like – with with um, Kobe White and Sadoransky in Chicago is what's the play when Denzel Valentine comes back this year from injury? Because Denzel Valentine, people forget before he got hurt, he had his baseline leaner game going. He had his all his whole arsenal of floaters going. I mean, he was getting to the rim. He was scoring. He was looking really good. Yeah, Valentine is one of the most underappreciated, like just young talents. I don't think I've seen just – anything on Twitter. There definitely hasn't been a House of Highlights post on Denzel Valentine. 
But uh, right, he, Valentin can really get it done on the offensive end, and and that's a good question because you also I have Chris Dunn on the Bulls still, and you could see a little bit of a log jam at the point guard spot there when Dunn comes back. You have Kobe White. You're trying to get him minutes. Valentin. Oh, don't sleep on Archie Diakono. Yeah. I think I don't think they've re-signed him yet, but he's he's restricted. Yeah, Archie Archie Diakono challenged Tony Snell himself last year for the Tony Snell stat line, which is the thirty minutes, three points on one for three, two assists, one rebound. No, two, two, a lot of people oh. two years ago, Tony Snell set an NBA record by playing twenty eight minutes without recording a single st- in this a single statistical category, not even a turnover. I'm, like, that's kind of impressive because, like, I tutor the ACT, right? And if a kid can come in and get a zero, you know, like, get every single answer wrong, that's actually equivalent to getting a 36. And I think that's the, the mantra Tony Snell had going there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd take it to that level, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> let's, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Now, what was a move that you just simply did not like, that you just saw come across your timeline and you just pro- projectile vomited all over you? Um, Alfred Payton to the Knicks. <laughs> I, I thought you would go in that direction. Two, hey, two for 16, two years for 16, that's not bad for Mr. Triple-Double no, himself. I, I'm not <laughs> – I am not <laughs> concerned with the, the monetary compensation heading Alfred Payton's way. What I'm concerned about <laughs> – is you're taking another ball-dominant guard with no perimeter game, and you're putting him alongside Dennis Smith Jr. and now R.J. Barrett, who both love having the ball in their hands and both have no outside shot at this point. So if, if your main goal is to continue developing Dennis Smith Jr. and just kind of give R.J. Barrett the keys of the offense his rookie year and see what he can do, then I don't know where Alfred Payton fits into this roster. I mean, I think the appeal is that if I am to play devil's advocate here, I think Dennis Smith Jr. at this point is a very ball dominant score first sort of point guard whose passing instincts and vision are a step behind right now. And I think the idea is you can, you can kind of offset that by bringing in a guy like Peyton, who's like the exact inverse, where it's like, his, his scoring instincts, his touch, his shot has never been there, but he's always had the passing instincts. Um, but it, it all depends on what, how do you stagger those minutes? What are, what are the splits looking like? Because you essentially gave up Chris Stapps for fucking Dennis Smith Jr. at this point with, you know, with the free agents you got. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. Were, were there any other deals that you were just absolutely, you know, c- completely disgusted by? Um, I think a lot of people are trying to praise the Heat for this Jimmy Butler deal, and I, I'm not. I'm not sure about it. I don't. Okay. The, the, Heat, the okay. Heat have been stuck in this NBA purgatory, no man's land, whatever you want to call it, ever since LeBron's departure. And I don't think Jimmy Butler is alone enough to push them over the edge and make them like a legitimate contender over Milwaukee, Philly, Boston. And so when you're giving up a fringe all-star or high-end role player in Josh Richardson, who is way more conducive to the Heat's timeline of rebuilding or whatever they want to do, whatever direction they want to head in, you're crippling your salary cap for essentially a first-round exit for the next four years unless something else goes in their way. <clears throat> and so giving, giving a guy a max contract when you haven't been anything better than a seven seed in the last, what, five, six years – is a really dicey move, and I'm just not sure about it. See, I I had the exact same thought come across my mind when I saw it, but then I think you have to, like with this Butler trade in Miami, I think you have to examine the broader sociotemporal scope of this in terms of Pat Riley's decision-making, because last year, let us not forget, Miami underachieved woefully. Okay, it was a sordid, and I mean a sordid bottom of the East last year. And the fact that the, the that the Heat couldn't climb out of that and get an eight seed was, or should have been, a massive disappointment. However, that that whole 
didn't because it was Wade's last year and the whole fan base sort of turned a blind eye to how poorly they under, underachieved because it was this like ritualistic, we commemorate Dwayne Wade, you know, like it doesn't matter. Let's just get Wade his shot sort of thing. It was like, with but the now I feel like with Kobe, his final year. Yeah. Right. And so now I feel like for Pat Riley, like the pre- the pressure is on to get people excited about the heat again in this post Wade era. And, you know, I, I like you had to make a splash because the Sixers made a splash. Boston made a splash. Toronto won the East. You know, Milwaukee was Milwaukee was the best team in the NBA. You know, it's just like I think I think they had to make a splash. It, I think if they could have paired Bradley Beal with him, if they could have made that work, then like the dominoes start to fall where you could see the Heat really contending this year. But yeah, I'm with you. I think <clears throat> ultimately Butler doesn't move the dial enough to justify this. Yeah, I kind of want to shift back now to moves that I liked. Because, to be honest, there weren't very many moves that I just thought were abominable. Like, I thought that few players got severely overpaid. I thought that most of the players got decently fair contracts and honestly fit the teams that signed them pretty well. And very few were better fits than I thought Jeremy Lamb for the Pacers, where the Pacers did an excellent job in the last 24 hours signing Lamb on a three-year, $31 million deal. And, he, you know, he averaged 15 points a game last year on pretty damn good shooting splits. Oh, you, you don't have, you're, you're preaching to the choir about Jeremy Lamb. I've been an ardent Jeremy Lamb supporter since the jump. Okay, let's make that really clear. No, yeah, yeah I know that. He, uh, he just is one of those instant offense off the bench or probably starting with Oladipo out to start the year. Awesome mid-range game. Got that spot-up three-point shot. He finished in the 73rd percentile or better in the last three years as a ball handler on the pick and roll, which is an interesting stat because you don't think of Jeremy Lamb as this playmaking type. But when he's operating off the screen in the pick and roll, especially paired with Miles Turner and Sabonis, I think he could generate a lot of offense that way. And he doesn't get enough enough credit on the defensive end either. He can guard multiple positions on the perimeter. He just an all-around really, really nice high-end role player. I think I think part of the reason Jeremy Lamb's underrated is because he looks so damn stoned out there <laughs> that you almost like you almost forget like how effective he is because he like he never really celebrates unless he makes like a sixty-two foot you know half quarter like to beat the Raptors. But like he's always just so steady and high out there that you just like. It's just like, oh, yeah, Jeremy Lamb, 16, 5, 4. Like, yeah, I saw him make one nice bucket. It's just like he's, he's one of those players who just kind of, like, coasts and coasts, but it's never like – you know how, like, Rashawn Holmes is king of, like, the loud eight points? Mm-hmm. Like, you'll tune into, like, a Suns game or a Sixers game that Rashawn's playing, and at the end of the game, you'll be like, oh, what did Rashawn Holmes have, like, 24, 23? No, he had eight, but, like, all eight were, like, tomahawk and ones or, like – you know, sky up the ladder to catch a lob type points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, every everything Jeremy Lamb does is just these, like, very smooth, very fluid, very, like, ho-hum. Oh, that was a nice, like, drift to the backside, spin move, play up with the left hand. Like, I, I, it's very interesting how, like, certain players just tend to have more dramatically noticeable performances on a night-to-night basis. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think you said a lot of that just has to do with his demeanor, just the stoner demeanor. Eyes are just sunken, just goes out there, does his thing, goes to the bench, sends out a few like texts to his girl, like <laughs> Yeah, game's alright, game's alright. I'll meet you at Benihana. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just chilling out there. But I really I really like the addition, especially after losing Bogdanovich. They added Brogdon as well and once Old Depot comes back, I think Lamb can occupy that six man role at the two guard coming off the bench, providing instant offense. I, I really like that addition. You brought up you brought up Brogdon though, and I wanted to prod you on first of all, I wanted to prod you on the Brogdon Lamb Oladipo fit, especially with our newest member of Jehovah's Witness, Darren Collison, retiring. But also, what do you think about that that 
$85 million to Brogdon? Um, I think it's a little excessive. But a lot of money is being thrown around. Almost $3 billion in the last 48 hours in free agency was thrown around. And so this is like not even in the top 20 of contracts handed out in free agency. And what Brogdon's giving you from a scoring standpoint, like a 50-40-90 season last year, like the eighth in NBA history, just one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA. I think that he's going to earn a lot of that contract. And could could it come back to bite them in the butt a little bit, especially with Brogdon's injury history lately? Possibly. But having that said, I I think he was going to get paid not only by the Pacers, I bet there were a number of teams willing to throw at least twenty million a year at him. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that if you want to get these high-end role players or stars in free agency, you have to throw them a bag. Or you're not. You're just not going to land them. I mean, I no, no. I I get that you have to throw them a bag, but like. Brogdon, like, Brogdon is the type of player who is a pure specialist, right? Like, Brogdon, Brogdon's flaws are very glaring, and his strengths are very well illuminated, right? Exactly. You, and, you know exactly what you're getting with Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. And, and I think, like, if the Pacers are saying, like, hey, look, like, we want to we wanna snatch up our five-seed slot again and roll our dice in the playoffs, like, this is a great move. Um, I, but, like, I think that Brogdon could have a little bit of a rude awakening, especially early on with Oladipo out, realizing that he doesn't have the just insane gravity of Giannis just pulling the defense away from opening up for these wide-open three-point corner shots, so... Right. Brogdon's offense last year was generated almost solely because of the Giannis effect on the floor. And can Brogdon create for himself off the dribble? Absolutely. Is he one of the better three-point shooters in the league? Yes. But And finishers. And finishers yes. at the rim yeah, with both yes. hands. He's, he's all of these things. Yeah, he has an awesome skill set. But the, the fact that he's no longer playing with Giannis could cause him to have a rude awakening at least right away, especially with Oladipo off the floor. And I don't think that narrative should be downplayed at all, just how much Giannis makes the game easier for players like Malcolm Brogdon. Okay, well, I do I do want to initiate a move that I thought was um, a tad on the, <laughs> on the questionable side, and that was the three-year 58 mil to Terry Rozier from, oh, from Sir Michael Sir Michael Jordan himself. <laughs> and and like it's not that listen, like Terry Terry's a really interesting player and I think Boston's chemistry problems last last year actually had, you know, a bigger influence on why his year was he, he kind of stumbled last year more than he should have. You know, and because his minutes went he sometimes he was playing twenty eight minutes a night, sometimes he was playing five. He never knew, you know, and, and I think to a large extent Kyrie like clashed with Brad Stevens in calling this in calling the shots for the guard minutes. But Michael Jordan, Michael Michael Jordan decides to take literally the best thing, the maybe and, and arguably the only good thing that has happened in the franchise's history, being Kemba Walker. And and Kemba Walker literally has a you know a, a at least a vocal or you know, month-long, month-long, like, at least rumination that he's coming back to, to Charlotte. And Michael Jordan decides to lowball him, give him less than the Supermax, then decides to, you know, also not, not pay Jeremy Lamb, let Frank Kaminsky go. And the one big move he makes is three years, $58 million to a guard who played behind Marcus Smart and Kyrie. I, it just I, no, it's baffling. Listen, it's baffling. now I, <laughs> can we talk a little bit about how bad the Hornets are going to be next year? Because they're they they're gonna be lucky if they win more than a dozen games. I mean, oh, they're they're gonna be historically bad. I mean, they may, they might be like Bobcats back in like what was it two thousand ten two thousand eleven bad. 
Oh, dude, the like the, the eight bro, win bro. The, the Hornets are the Hornets are mauling for Melo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's let's they, be perfectly their, straight. Their dude. top returning score is going to be like a thirty-three-year-old Marvin Williams who averaged ten a game last year. That's correct. Yeah. Is 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 the corpse of Batum still under contract as well? Yes, and it's and he's getting <laughs> overpaid. I think it's like sixty billion. It might be more. I I like. I, I remember looking at the Batum contract and literally doing like a cartoonish spit take of my coffee. <laughs> like I almost ruined my MacBook. I was like, what? So at what point do like the Hornets just kind of quarantine Michael Jordan from making decisions? Is that allowed? Hey, hey if if Dolan hasn't been you know removed yet, I I don't see how Jordan could. You know, like Do- Dolan just said, "I don't want to pay Kevin Durant." No, it, so <laughs> and as tragic as it is for Charlotte to have to face this year in and year out, or as Char- I'm saying, as tragic it is for New York to have to face this year in and year out, they get enough media hype and enough fans at their games because of how damn big New York is that they'll be fine next year. They'll be talking about, oh, Cole Anthony. The next Zion, like, they're going to be oh, yeah. saying how they're going to land every oh, yeah, free agent yeah. under the sun next year. They, they, they find a way to hype themselves up. They, they have a short memory. But Charlotte, oh, yeah. I feel especially bad for Charlotte fans. I mean, my God. You have no hope. You are one of the smallest market teams in the league. You have Michael Jordan as your owner. Oh, my God. You just lost the only good thing that ever happened to you. Yikes. Yeah, it, it's sad. I mean, it. I mean, hey, I mean, it might be like a, a blessing and a curse. Like, maybe they can actually, you know, win 16 games and grab, like, you know, RJ Hampton or something. But, yeah, no, Charlotte is my early vote for, like, worst team in the league next year. The one bright spot in Charlotte right now is that Malik Monk will probably be a starter next year. And hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, my God. I don't want to even talk about Charlotte anymore. I'm just no, yeah, no, clinical let's, depression. Let's, <laughs> no, let's lay that off. Um, was just really jolted you out of your seat. Like, wow, I did not see that one coming. I mean, the obvious one here is D-Lo. To the yeah. <laughs> that was just an absolute, just like magnitude nine earthquake with just a bunch of aftershocks. I mean, just the, <laughs> the max, the max to D-Lo. And I and I doubt he plays any games in a Warriors uniform. Is the thing I'm I'm assuming that they're already looking for like trade suitors. With the Timberwolves being the first one that comes to mind. And honestly, if they can end up acquiring like Robert Covington, Josh Okoji, a first rounder out of this, it would be well worth signing to the max because the T Wolves are definitely going to bite on a D'Lo Max contract. I mean, the, okay, listen, the T Wolves. The T Wolves will, will will bite on anything that isn't giving Andrew Wiggins all one hundred forty one million dollars that he is owed. Okay, <laughs> let's make that really clear. I think the T Wolves, if the T Wolves could swap like Kevon Looney on the contract Wiggins is on right now, they might do it in a heartbeat. I mean, I think they would. I think they would do it in a heartbeat. Wiggins just sitting down last night in his pajamas, right? Just like. You know, just smoking a nice backwoods, you know, just getting a nice cocoa butter massage, you know, scrolling through his timeline and seeing that his team is desperately trying to acquire D'Angelo Russell. Not a single person is even willing to entertain the idea of taking Andrew Wiggins off the Wolves' hands. I, I, don't, I don't think his re- I don't think he would react to it. I think he's going to start another game of 2K and only use himself. <laughs> yeah, does he care? You know, like, I, I don't think he cares. I think he just wants to get the bag. I, I respect that too. But did you see, you saw Kat put up that, that Instagram story of loading? Yeah, I feel, I feel bad for Kat. I truly do. Yeah, no, Kat, he's the biggest loser in all of this. Oh, absolutely. Because like I said, Wiggins, I don't think he really cares. But Cat Cat post-All-Star break was putting up like 30 and 14 a night. Just an absolute menace. Oh, oh yeah, no, Cat was going absolutely berserk. 
And if the, anything positive came out of the just Jimmy Butler experiment in Minnesota, it was just Cat having a rude awakening that he wasn't playing hard enough. And now I think he's like, I want to work towards like an MVP. I want to leave a legacy in the NBA. And oh no, yeah, I I I mean I can attest to that. I I went to probably seventy five percent of Wolves home games and post Jimmy Butler. And just general voraciousness on the offensive glass, as well as on the defensive interior, skyrocketed. Like it, it was night and day, and it was the type of thing that just energized the hell. A very depleted bench as well. Like the Timberwolves, like I'll be honest, the Timberwolves were not good last year, but they overachieved to give it their personnel. <laughs> <laughs> what did they finish with? Like the, not the ten seed in the West. Yeah. So, like, we're probably expecting them to be. We're probably expecting them to be even worse this year, considering all the moves that other teams have made and just the lack of Devo and losing Anthony Tolliver, losing Taj Gibson. Yeah, losing. Playing Jeff Teague. Oh, yeah, no, we're going to be seeing, like, major Gorgie minutes. But they're not going to be bad enough to truly tank. And if that really matters in the new lottery setup where the odds are much more in late lottery teams' favors, I don't know. But the they're, they're definitely going to be lottery-born. They got Jared Culver on the bright side, but uh, the, Wolf, the Wolves don't have much to look forward to at this point. I mean, okay, it's... It's, it's like, it's one thing to be in the position that like, you know, maybe like the, the heat were, the heat kind of are right now, or kind of maybe where OKC is at, where you're on the outside looking in, but you have exciting pieces, which energize the fan base, you know, like Monday night games, Tuesday night games, like, you know, there's a, there's a spark, right? When, when you go into a Wolves game, the minute Jeff Teague touches the ball, the minute Andrew Wiggins touches the ball, there is a collective sigh and then groan that is emitted <laughs> throughout the entire target center. Like the entire <laughs> crowd is disheveled with worry and sadness and just pure anguish the moment either of those guys touch the ball. And that is your starting point guard and your starting small forward. <laughs> <laughs> That is the oh, current wow. state of disarray that the Minnesota Timberwolves are in. So being like winning games, losing games, that's, that's, that is like, priority is like, how do you put a team on the floor, that both the organization and the fan, like be excited about? I agree. Like what the, even what the Nets did last year, with the bench mob and just having exciting guys like Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and just night in and night out, the Barclay was just packed. And you had memes, mm-hmm. you had Playboy Cardi Kid Cuddy just, just surfacing on Twitter, just making rounds. Rob Perez late night live video just going nuts about Brooklyn. And you, you just don't have that in Minnesota. Even Even the Clippers last year, Snuck into the playoffs, super exciting team. I expect them to have an ex- exciting team again this year, even if they don't end up with Kawhi. But you, 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 you make up good points about having an energetic team that your fans can get excited about and just pa- pack people into the building. Well, and that, and that's that sort of energy is is honestly like it's unquantifiable. Like it, it, it is completely. Um, contagious in how it emanates throughout the building, how it affects the media coverage, how it affects relationships between players, relationships um, between the media and players, the media and the fans. Like every every Minnesota like like City Pages, Minneapolis Tribune article on the Wolves is, oh, what's going on with Wiggins? Is Wiggins getting traded? I mean, it's just a poisonous, toxic sort of like, you know, vortex of distrust and skepticism. You know, and 
oh, it just – yeah, what, what Brooklyn had last year is the exact antithesis of that, which is just like, hey, like, night in and night out, like, we're rocking this thing. You know, we're going to – we might we might drop 128 and give up 135, but, like, fuck it, you know? Like, everyone's sharing the ball. Um, yeah, that, that's discouraging. I, I do want to I do want to inject that my big surprise um so far was Brooklyn related but it was not the KD or Kyrie combo it was the DeAndre Jordan move when you're coming off such a strong Jared Allen year Yeah so what I think happened with DJ is that him and Kevin Durant have been longtime friends and I think they were almost a package deal in all of this. Durant said, if I'm coming, DJ's coming, and he's going to take part of my contract. He ended, KD's ended up not taking the absolute Supermax to share some of his money with DeAndre Jordan because that's how much he desired for DJ to be in New York with him. Why? I don't know. But I have my doubts with DJ. I don't think that he's better than Jared Allen. I agree. don't like him having a four-year deal being on the wrong end of 30 already. Um, and <laughs> I think in, even in terms of veteran leadership, I don't know how much DeAndre Jordan truly provides because he's, he's not one of these savvy veterans. He's always just relied on being bigger and more athletic than everyone else on the court and just, just wills his way on lobs and on the inside. So I don't know in terms of like a basketball move if it was conducive to success whatsoever, but if KD asks for something, you give it to him. So looking at it from that standpoint, it kind of had to be done. No, no. Yeah. And I I understand like if this was the linchpin that had to make the birds sing, you know, and this, this was like what had to keep the deal together, you do it in a heartbeat, but Jared Allen's skills and DeAndre Jordan's skills do not complement each other in the least bit. They overlap oh, absolutely. completely. You know, absolutely. like Jared, dude, last year, and, and I think like, I think the Warriors might be in for a rude awakening finding this out. Last year, a lot of the reason D'Lo had a resurgence was not just the fact that like his confidence was literally through the roof and, and, and he was like just locked into a I'm going to shoot it whenever zone. It was the fact that he was allowed to run a ton of high pick and roll sets around Jarrett Allen and Jarrett Allen's rim running and his efficiency in catching lobs was premier. Absolutely fucking elite last year. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. And I kind of want to stay on the deal though. Now that you brought him up that the reason that reported by USA today, the reason that the Suns did not throw a bag at Delo was because they were worried that he was a bad influence on Devin Booker. A bad influence. A bad under. influence on a team. Okay, that... Devin Booker's not a rookie. Devin Booker's Devin That's Booker what I'm saying. The same scored age. 82 points in a the game. They're the what the hell are we age. talking They're about? They're the same age. Oh, my and God. And this is the team where John what? Jackson went to, like, a Miami music festival and got arrested for, like, punching a cop. And they're, they're worried about Delo's influence? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, we, we talk about Charlotte. We talk about Phoenix. Management is the big NBA management is the single biggest competitive advantage in any American sports league, period. Oh, I 100% agree. It, especially when you're a small to medium market team, when you can have a front office that has good power dynamic going on, that just that linear power dynamic of your scouts report to your front office, parts of your GM, or parts of your owner, and the moves take place in a leader order it's it's organized everyone knows what they're doing that's that's vital to a team's success and that kind of radiates throughout the entire organization and so like like i said with dolan in new york you're gonna get fans of your game regardless and as frustrating it is to go through just a decade of this apocalyptic wasteland that is new york it it's much more frustrating for these small market teams to have to go through it because they're not every year looking to get a big name in free agency. They're, they're hoping that through the draft they can build a team, but if you keep screwing up through the draft and 
you don't offer guys max contracts when they need them, you're you're gonna run into some huge problems. So well, and it's okay. It's one thing to make that comment when maybe Booker's like, you know, a 19 year old kid, and they're like, "Hey, we don't want you smoking backwoods in the back of um, Delos, you know, fucking Escalade. We we would prefer you to, you know, be at home eating a kale salad. You know, that's one thing. But Devin Booker's a grown ass man. You know, Devin Booker is a grown ass man. You know, what what the hell? What kind of message does that send to your star and the face of your franchise? Like, oh yeah, you're you're our little baby in you know in a in a high chair eating out of Tupperware. We 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 want to completely incubate you, and you know completely d- design your environment so you're not you know exposed to any influence. What the ugh? It's just it's such a it's such an embarrassing scar on the organization for that to be public too. <laughs> Absolutely. I will I will say that I liked what the Suns did with signing Rubio. I think that these DeAndre Ayton Rubio pick and rolls next year are gonna be something to watch. I think that Rubio is a nice compliment to Devin Booker's game as someone with a developing outside shot, as well as just some of the most savvy passing instincts in the entire NBA. Um yeah, I think Phoenix could be a fun watch next year on League Pass if you guys are into that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I am indeed. Um, I'm also into Reddit streams. Not going to sanction that on our broadcast as that is illegal last time I checked. But you know, y'all can check that out. Um, so how how does situation so far what's transpired what's gone down in your mind how does it affect the power rankings the high tenders versus pretenders in the east but we can start with the east yeah so i think that right away with Kawhi's decision still on the table it, it, it's really really hard to count out the raptors and if Kawhi resigns, you gotta mark them as favorites again. Um, but what Milwaukee did by resigning everyone except for Brogdon, signing Wesley Matthews, grew up in Wisconsin, played college ball at Marquette to a veteran minimum, really, really adds to their chances being able to keep that core together. Sign Robin Lopez, which I could go on another tangent of just going to be hilarious to watch Robin and Brooke just go at it. <laughs> Their fights with oh, oh, yeah. next year, just those absolute Geico cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> Street corner meth dealer Robin Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to that's gonna be fun to watch. But I think that the Bucks bringing back Middleton, bringing back George Hill, getting Wesley Matthews, re-signing Brooke, basically – retaining everyone except for Brogdon makes them immediate favorites if Kawhi leaves to win the East and represent the Eastern Conference next year in the finals, especially because of the KD injury. But I will say that Brooklyn, even minus KD, is is really interesting next year with Kyrie leading the way. Karis LeVert as a nice option. Spencer Dinwiddie just being an absolute just offensive firepower off the bench. Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Jug- yes, he is he is a true juggernaut. Um yeah, I think I think Brooklyn could be interesting next year to kind of take that four seed away from Toronto if Kawhi ends up leaving. Um and then Boston, obviously with Kemba. Jalen Tatum, you still have that just small forward, just mosh pit that just really no one knows what to do with. Ainge doesn't know what to do with. Stevens doesn't know what to do with. And we're going to, it's going to be interesting to see what, how Boston plays out this year because it was looking, everything was looking up in early April going into the playoffs. First round went smoothly in their sweep of Indiana. And then they hit the box, and Kyrie essentially just gave up. They Horford was the only that put together even a semi-promising performance, and now he's gone. And so 
Tatum's going to have to take a large step forward next year, just becoming more efficient in all aspects of his game if Boston wants to be a true contender. I Listen, everyone's hitting the panic button on Boston right now, and I think that's being accentuated by like the just just how fucking up and down Boston fans are about their own team. But I mean, here's the deal. Like Kemba and Kyrie for their entire career actually have been comparable players. The fact that Kemba's played in the, you know, scalding shit house that is Charlotte has, you know, hurt his hype and hurt his national credibility. Kemba's an excellent, excellent point guard. And they will not lose that much in terms of production at the one. No, I now, I, I agree. Now and now listen, now listen, here's the deal. Jalen has taken a step forward every year, okay? Last year, it was his defense, right? Jalen has taken a step forward every year. His shooting was good last year. His creation in terms of baseline to the, to the big rotating up to the elbow was a great source of offense for them. Tatum is going to take another step, okay? Like, everyone's down on Tatum after, you know, oh, Tatum takes too many long twos. Tatum thinks he's Kobe. Tatum is a great young talent. Okay, and Tatum's not going to get worse. Okay, now the Celtics still have a gleaming, gleaming bright future with this young core. I say that with quadruple quotation marks. However, however, if your interior defense is Ennis the Menace, who has a better chance of, like, honestly, has a better chance of like getting deported. By, yeah, has a better chance of getting deported than he does of stopping a, a a pick and roll. And Daniel Tice, who regularly gets dunked on by guards who are half his height. Um, I think you're gonna have a problem. But could Brad Stevens get creative and forge out some sort of manufa- manufactured rinky dink um scheme for interior defense? Maybe. Maybe. But I'm so sick of this whole, oh, Kyrie left, Horford left, Boston's gonna tank. Boston's on the way out in the East. No, no. There's a reason Kemba signed there, okay? Smart is a legit talent, okay? Smart is a legit, like, makes you five to ten wins better a season talent in terms of all of the little stuff he does on both sides of the ball, in terms of what he brings you intensity level in close games. You know, I'm, I'm sick of that. But the team that you didn't touch on that I think honestly probably pushed themselves to the top of the discussion in the East – is the Sixers and what Elton Brand did, you know, like, you know, you can, you can have your qualms about like, will this starting lineup work? You know, it's, they're all absolute Goliaths. And I mean, I, <laughs> but the Sixers are just, this roster is just an absolute conundrum to me that I'm actually just going to have to watch before having any real input on it, because I don't know how Al, Al Horford and Bede, Tobias are going to play together in the front court. Like they're all huge. But but Logan, but Logan, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Tobias has played with a large range of diverse lineups in his tenure. I mean, he was on that Blake Griffin and DeAndre team that played really big, right? He was on a Clippers Lou Will sort of um team that played really small. He was on last year's team, you know, with Simmons and Bembe that played both big and small. You know, sometimes with TJ McConnell, sometimes with Mike Scott, you know, it's sometimes with Boban playing big. I, I think he, he is super adjustable. Same with Horford. Horford in his early Hawks teams, him and Millsap played huge. You know, they played really big. That was like that was back on Buttonholzer's teams where they played like a bunch of high low ball. Now, and now and, now, and, and, and now, granted then, that granted that was a different time. Okay, it was a different time, but I'm saying the guys that they added, both you know, both Horford and Tobias, you know, for, Tobias with a little experience, they have an extended career of playing with a lot of different styles of basketball, and not only playing but succeeding at the highest level. I, I just I, and Richardson, Richardson can just shoot. Richardson can shoot the lights out. Richardson can shoot, and he's a damn good defender. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't this, understand no, this, why this, this won't work. Sixers defense is going to be. Very, very scary. I mean, imagine trotting down the lane and running into and beat a Horford combination. That is terrifying. Oh, it's not fun. And then you have it's Simmons and Richardson chasing your tail for the chase down block. Are you serious? That is not a good time. That is really scary. This, this could very well be the number one ranked defense when this time rolls around next year. Yeah, and it's like, 
everyone's begging Simmons to get a jump shot. It's like with a roster like this, it's like, I don't even know if the spacing matters anymore. Like they're just going to play bully ball. Yeah. I, I, what, what is your response if you're Boston with Ennis? Even if you said they do manage to put together like a rickety dickety <laughs> defensive scheme. A Cuban <laughs> escape raft. <laughs> with, with Ennis, the menace in the middle, as the man in the middle. I like Ennis versus a Horford and Embiid. Are you serious? That not fun. That that that's no. not a playoff series that Boston wants to draw. I'll tell you that. Or or Milwaukee with the Lopez brothers and Giannis down low. That's terrifying as well. And and Embiid's I mean, only getting better, man. Simmons is only getting better. You no, know? I like agree. they're. I agree. Philly Philly's damn scary. I just I have to look at what scheme they put together. How they're gonna assemble these lineups before I pass any real judgment on them being a true title contender or what, 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 what is Philly right now? I don't know. They're, they're scary on paper. They have a lot of really nice pieces and I will say they're probably going to have a dominant defense, but the, the shooting's still a question mark, despite them being just gargantuan, the shooting is still a question mark. All right. I we'll, we'll leave it there in the East. Now I do want to transition West. Um, for me, for me now, with the moves that have been made, the West is a five-team conference right now. It's the Jazz, it's Golden State, it's the Lakers, it's the Blazers, the Nuggets, and OKC. Is that so, consistent with your findings? That was six teams, but yeah. Um, I think Sacramento has a few years to go before they're truly competitive. Um. I think that Dallas is going to be semi-competitive this year, could sneak into like the eighth seed, depending on what when Porzingis comes back, how well he merges with Dockage and the rest of the crew. Um, but, yeah, I think that those six teams, especially Utah and um, Denver, are going to be very competitive next year. I mean, you look at this Utah lineup, you see absolutely no holes in it anymore. You see, You have Mike Conley, you have Donovan Mitchell. You have the splash uncles in Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and just Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year at center. That is you got yeah. you got it all there. You got yeah. shooting, you got interior defense, you got perimeter defense, you got playmaking, you have it all. Not to mention they signed Ed Davis, who was like second in rebounds for forty eight minutes last year, just one of the most underrated rebounders. In the honestly, league. honestly, I would, I would, I, I would venture to say an upgrade over favors at this point. Um, I don't know if I would go that far, but, and, and this is coming from an Ed Davis stand. Who, yeah, I, by I the know, way, Ed, Ed Davis will never make what he's worth. This this guy's just getting criminally underpaid year in and year out. But <laughs> I, no, I, I I love Ed Davis, and like I said, this ja- this Jazz team does not have holes anymore. The, the combination of Ingles and Bogdanovich just absolutely bombing. It's going to be really fun to watch. Conley just voted like team of the year, just provides awesome leader, leadership for Mitchell. Perfect compliment to his offensive game. They're, they're going to be really dangerous. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think, I think the whole bandwagon on Twitter is with you as well. Um, I guess, I guess like, I don't know. I, I really, I'm, I'm hesitant to make any blanket statements about what the West is going to be until Kawhi makes his decision, but I'm, I'm disappointed in the sort of inaction by OKC. I I felt like OKC had to make a move after like another disappointing postseason, and, you know, re-signing Nerland's Noel isn't exactly the, (laughs) the big move you need. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if Westbrook can kind of salvage any kind of decent shooting splits. I doubt it. But uh, last year's shooting was just historically bad, like w- much worse than what his MVP season was a couple years ago. And we've reached the point where there's very few that are hanging on the Westbrook stand van on Twitter anymore. I mean that 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 tweet verse is just a, a wasteland right now. I almost feel like Westbrook's almost underrated at this point. Oh no! You know, I, and who, I, I, you know who would have said that? I agree. <laughs> I think I think there's there's going to be a new wave of Westbrook stands that are just they're trying to get him like an all star spot next year because of how criminally, just how like 
dis- disparaged he's been across the internet this last year and a half. And, like, he still averaged a triple-double. That's cool. But, yeah, I mean, just the amount of hate he's received is unfair at this point. Because what OKC has around him, other than Paul George and Steven Adams and, I guess, Jaren Grant, is not ideal. It's not ideal at all. I mean, you have a, like, 21-year-old Terrence 2K Ferguson and Hamadou Diallo, who just both are just elastic, raw. nuclear raw. athletes. <laughs> heavily raw. They're they're not play they're not like playoff like pieces yet. No. You, you can't just no. insert those guys and expect them to be ball stoppers on a clay or staff. So no. Oh, oh okay, see, I don't see like you said, they're on the outside looking in right now in terms of the Western contender picture. But um I guess we'll see what happens there if PG can have another MVP type MVP caliber year. Um, but I do want to talk about Golden State because the conversation on Twitter the last, like, 48 hours is that they're almost bad. And <laughs> um, the, the, the Warriors are still going to be very, very, very good next year. No, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? like I, I, don't know, I don't know where this is coming from. You, you have... You, you you have Steph Curry. We don't know the timeline for Clay coming back yet. We don't know Draymond's Draymond's still the best passer in the league, so I, I that's not going anywhere. The the one thing I will say about the Warriors right now is that their bench is absolutely hideous. I mean, just disgusting and like trash, <laughs> like just hey, hunchback hey, hey, of on. Notre Dame ugly, like. Quinn, Quinn Cook had a nice year. Quinn Cook had a nice Jarebko had a nice year. Now, playoff-wise, I'm with you. But... No, Jarebko's gone now. He was a free agent, I think. Oh, he was? I I don't know. I... I don't know. No, Jarebko hasn't been re-signed. So you're talking about pass, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and if D'Lo stays there. We're talking about a bench composed of Jacob Evans, Alfonso McKinney, Alan Smilajek, I don't know how to pronounce that. Damian mm-hmm. Jones. Now we have Kavon Looney. They finally re-signed. A great move. But you, this this is a very short bench. I would take it to the extent of unplayable bench past, like, Looney. Um, right. So Harsh words. Harsh words. When Steph's probably going to be an early odds-maker favorite for MVP starting next year with Clay out because he's going to take – at least 15 threes a game is what I'm projecting. I I don't see a way that he doesn't get up like 25, 30 shots a game. Yeah, no, I, I think I think Steph is going to finally have to just let it loose. You know, like just I, I think Steph's going to have to play hardened ball, uh, hopefully without all the, the fluke foul, you know, luring. But I mean, which, which part of me is honestly excited to see because like one of my main criticisms of Kerr last year was that, he was playing a little bit too much system oriented and should let Curry have a little bit more offensive freedom. And so now it's like your hands are behind your back. Let's see what it, let's see what happens. Yeah. We're um, finally going to give this, give the internet what it wants in terms of how good is Curry when he has no one else around him. Especially which, with which, 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 okay. That is, and, and I know, I know it's a fun question. It's a good uh, playing darts, playing pool sort of debate, but the truth of the matter is that is a poor and unfair way to evaluate Steph Curry as a basketball player. Oh, I, because I, may I remind you, basketball is a five-man game. I it agree. is a game I of agree. cohesive systems. I agree. It's a system game, right? I, I think that LeBron is president when he carried a team with J.R. Smith and the crew to a finals appearance that if you can't carry your team to the finals with – Role like low grade role players, then you're not a top three, top four player in the world. And now that the president is set, it doesn't matter what your play style is. People are going to judge you by your ability to play when you don't have all stars around you. Uh, and oh, do I think okay. it's fair? No, but that's that's how the media has t- just perverted the narrative. Well, but but I don't just because the yardsticks have been perverted by what the bleeding the bleeding goats have said on the internet. That does not mean that we have to 
you know, fall down to that level of evaluation, you know, like, yeah. Did LeBron drag that Cavs team kicking and streaming to the finals? And, and was that, you know, you know, indubitably the, one of the most impressive things that of his career. Yeah. Did it cement his legacy in some way? Yeah. But j- just having that sheer, that sheer gravitational, like singular dominance as a player it is not, necessarily how how you evaluate a player you know I, I to me like to me like Steph is in some ways like in some ways Steph can do to a lot of things LeBron can't in terms of Steph Steph can actually like defer and and creatively defer in how he spaces the floor and how he passes and how he manages pick and roll situations where he, he can actually keep a team competitive for longer without them imploding because he doesn't and just not and just not taking as much damage to his body (laughs) totally totally yeah he he, much more sustainable and so i i don't i don't know i just i don't think it's a fair yardstick but i hey i'm excited to see i'm excited to see it i agree and i want to finish up here by talking about the like final real contender in the west which is the Denver Nuggets. Um, right. One one of the moves that went under the radar last night is when Denver signed Jamal Murray to a max contract extension of five years, $170 million. Big cash. Big cash. And I don't, I'm not sure about throwing this much money at Jamal Murray, who is on some nights – the second best, even the best offensive option on your team. And other nights just disappears like a ghost from Scooby-Doo. And um, <laughs> yeah, just $170 million is a lot when you're going to have to give a pay. You had signed Millsap to that $30 million. You ex- gave him the qualifying $30 million offer. Jokic's payday is coming up real soon. Or did they did they already re-sign him? I'm not sure, but I know they're gonna have to pay Gary Harris. Right. Um they're gonna have to pay Will Barton. They just paid Trey Lyles a little bit. No, no, they didn't. Oh no. Someone someone just paid Trey Lyles. Did they? I also saw another Woj bomb with Isaiah Thomas signing a deal with the Wizards, but I kinda wanna breeze over that Dear God. About, wow. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the IT four year on luxury tax. That is beneath us. That is indeed. <laughs> But yeah, you, you if you're the Nuggets, you got a lot of paydays coming up here. Granted, you you locked into having a young roster that probably probably the, the best the premium young core in the league. But um, you you, you got to pay these guys coming up next year and the year after. You got to pay all these guys and just maxing out a Murray who is still developing his playmaking stills, is really inconsistent on nights when his shot isn't falling. It, it isn't a complete point guard. And give, giving a max to a guy like that who is far from being a complete player, is it, it's a little iffy. I'm not, I'm not sure about I, it. I think in many ways you're betting on what you saw um, in, in, the, in a lot of those playoff series, specifically the Blazers series, in which um, – Jamal Murray and Jokic's pick and roll game was superb and honestly like showed flashes of potential in the pick and roll that the NBA hasn't seen before in terms of where Jokic was positioning himself after the roll in these like Midland areas where he was going for these like um, these little like shot put like six to eight footers and Murray was just rolling with it a lot of different creative passing angles like Murray's best is elite and it's becoming more and more so every year a point guard oriented league, you know, a floor general oriented league. And I think what you're betting on with this contract is a rise to consistency on Murray's part. And that's the gamble. Will he get there? You know, can he show that he hasn't, he hasn't showed it yet, but it is encouraging that for the most part, Murray was on top of his game in the playoffs in the brightest moments. So I, I don't hate the contract. I, I just think like the Nuggets have assembled so many interesting young pieces that e- even if this contract goes south two to three years from now, 
like you're you're betting that a couple of the other players that you've assembled are going to you know exceed expectations and compensate for it and perhaps no young piece is more promising for the upcoming year than Michael Porter Jr. who Here his, we go. Camp, his camp has been just electric and talking him up as his camp. Just, have you been have you been patrolling the tents? Like what what, what do you mean yes. his camp? <laughs> you know, his crew, his trainers, when they post the highlight videos of him doing like tomahawk dumps in an open gym at like two well, AM. I mean Chris Brickley posts videos of Carmelo Anthony doing tomahawk dunks no, in an open know, gym. I, you know, what, what are we talking this about? Is, this, is, uh, this is obviously a satirical note, um, but I, <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting to see what MPG brings to the table this year. How is he going to recover from, like, two injuries? They're just that really bad back injury, the surgeries. And it almost reminds me of the Embiid situation where this guy was just a touted recruit was could have been the number one pick, gets hurt, falls in the draft a little bit, late lottery, just off the map for an entire year, maybe more, and then is going to come back and could turn some heads this year and just make the Nuggets an absolute force. So, like I said, we're going to see with that. Got an update from Bradley Beal's Twitter eight minutes ago. He tweeted, uh-oh, with a cold sweat emoji. Going to see what happens with that. Mm. See, it feels like a, it feels like a Kuzma double eyeballs tweet, like just something to get the the natives restless. <laughs> Kuzma says one of those out like every other day. Kuzma's a fucking clown, but I love it. We all love it, you know. We all love it. Um, all right, well, folks, next week we will, without a doubt, or at least hopefully, have some some new coverage regarding the Kawhi passenger pigeon unfurling of the scroll situation until then we must bid you farewell logan where can they find us you can find us on the lead sports media podcast network as well as spotify and the anchor app that is correct have a good night ladies and gentlemen